I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have been working our way through a sermon series called Midterms, not talking at all about the midterms because, I mean, they're over and nobody cares about them uh, anymore. We don't want to hear about it in church, so we're not talking about that. Um, We have been talking more about the midterms of life, those spaces in our life uh, where we have, there's who we are and who we want to be 
and we're stuck kind of in that space in between, between who we are and who we want to be. And many of those things, they have to do with, uh, we talked about money, stuck between who we are and, and where we want to be as it relates to our financial reality, uh, stuck between who we are and who we want to be when it comes to family, talked about stuck between who we are and who we want to be when it comes to work. And um, because we're gathering today for Friendsgiving, um, today we're going to talk about the reality that we hang from big event to big event. <laughs> we do. I know, I know that as soon as Thursday is over, as soon as it's over, we've already pivoted our mindset towards Christmas. We do. Would you pray with me? God, pull us out of our stuck places and middle spaces today. And teach us what it means to be content and to wait knowing that we're all waiting together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever known what it feels like, what it means to be hungry? It starts with this like sense of appetite, a feeling that you could really do for like a bit of something, right? As we have like food lining a table over here. Maybe maybe you like you could really do for a snack right now or really do for a full spread of Thanksgiving and then it grows. And if you've got no way of finding a mouthful or a whole meal, at that moment, you begin to feel your own fragility, that ache in your stomach. Your, your concentration begins to waver a little bit. And it starts to become difficult to do even ordinary things. So you begin to seek out distractions, something absorbing that takes your attention away and enables you um, to lose yourself. And you start to, to doubt your own judgment even, and you realize you're becoming incredibly selfish at that moment because you find yourself so mesmerized by your own desperation for substantive food that you can't consider the needs of anyone else around you. We have a word for this. What is it? Thank you. Good job. And when finally you, you do find some kind of food, it can be that your yearning and your ache for, for the pain to go away is so great that you don't truly even enjoy the food and you don't savor its taste and you don't savor its texture and you greedily wolf it down because your body's taken over and the rest of you has been elbowed aside. Hunger has drained all joy and you're left with raw, voracious compulsion eating. And if we're honest, we don't want to see ourselves that way. It's not just the physical discomfort we'd like to avoid. It's the discovery that we have down deep inside 
of us the capacity to be so needy, so selfish, so self-consumed by one thing to the exclusion of everything and everyone else. We have that capacity in us. We don't want to be reminded of it. And we certainly don't want anyone else to see us like that. How humiliating for others to realize the narrow and precarious and craven creatures we actually are. What a loss of dignity that would be. If, if someone saw us like this, we could hardly be in their presence again, not, not just because they, they would think so little of us, but because as soon as we saw them, we'd be reminded of a place of need in ourselves we'd much rather suppress or forget. Hunger may be the most basic of our human needs and desires, but more often it's a metaphor for other longings that can take over our life. I wonder if, for example, I wonder what, what it's like to yearn to have a life partner. Your life has good and rewarding things in it, but deep down you just profoundly want to matter to another creature on the planet, to have a commitment and a relationship to build your life around, to shape meaning out of the rhythms and texture of your days and the movements and achings of your heart, and perhaps most of all, to make something beautiful together, to leave a legacy on this earth and feel your life has, has some kind of meaning to it and it's been fruitful but year after year, there's no genuine sign of your being in any potential permanent relationship. And your plans for your career or for your financial planning, which had, had always been provisional, begin to take an unexpected air of permanence. And you come to wonder if anyone will ever find you attractive, if, if maybe you're hanging out in the wrong places, or, or if you're just being too choosy and... Before you know it, the waiting, it takes a grip over your mind and soul and becomes as convulsive as hunger. And your radar screen can't help but flash sirens then when, you, when it picks up nearby people with vibrant marriages, designer children, imagined happiness, and you begin to avoid conversation with these people and withdraw from their company, lest your need and your grief turn into sharp words, inappropriate tears, blinding self-pity. You don't want other people to see you like this. You can't, you can't bear to see yourself like this. Of course, these are, are only among the most intense of many profound yearnings that, that can't be assaged by material comfort or professional accomplishment. But right now, one in 10 people are longing for a job. And many, many, many more are yearning for a job that they can truly pursue with their heart and their soul. Look, look, to, look to your left for a second. Y'all people are now you're looking at the wall. So y'all need to look at your look to your right. All right. <laughs> I see you. 
But look to the people on your left and then look to the people on your right. Take a few minutes. Look to these people. These people. You're likely to see someone who's waiting for something next to you. Somebody, has, somebody next to you is longing for something. Not long ago, I had coffee with a man, um, and we'll call him Jeff, who, not that Jeff, who had, who had lost his, his sister, and um, who happened to be his best friend, in a tragic accident. And what made that, that tragedy so poignant was that the man responsible for the accident, we'll call him Andrew, was a close friend of both Jeff and his sister's. And even worse, Andrew's um, own brother had also died in the same accident, and all four friends had been traveling together. And it would have been great in many ways if Jeff and Andrew could have sat down together and talked it out, um, talked through the events that had happened that day and shared their grief and their shared loss. But Jeff told me that he just could not do that. There was just no way. I know I should, I know I must, but, but I'm sorry, I just, I just can't bring myself to forgive him. I know in my head he's hurting for his brother as much as I am for my sister, but, but he's not missing my sister like I miss my sister. No one else is missing my sister. No one else knows what this feels like. No one knows how important she was to me. I, I just can't forgive him, and I just can't meet him face to face. And so I asked, do you think there will ever come a day when you will? And Jeff said, I know one day I've got to, because this, this hatred is just eating me up inside, and I can't think about anything else but it. I can't think of anyone else. I can't think of anything else until I, until I can forgive I won't be able to start living again. There's this, this hunger in me that I can't satisfy. I'm not there yet. I, it's going to definitely be a while if it ever happens. All, all waiting is this kind of hunger. And all hunger is this kind of waiting. And you can fill up your life with good and worthwhile things and genuine and valuable tasks, absorbing and, and, and deserving projects of your time and ad admirable and interesting people that, that, that are, are worth your time. But suddenly, you get moments when you, you see with piercing clarity in your life that it's all a distraction all the way, all the way of making you so busy, so busy that you don't, you don't need to think and you can't think about, about the one thing you desire above all else and long for with your whole being and need like, like a hungry hole in your stomach. I would say the holidays do this really well. Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas we live from big event to big event, and it's not just the holidays. We could talk about the spring. We could talk about the spring and how we move from Mother's Day to Father's Day, trying to forget the, 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 
the angst and hunger that resides within our families by moving from one big celebration to the next, as if it's going to fix it. We move from graduation to marriage to baby having. I mean, it's the one big event to the next, and you can fill up your life with good and worthwhile things, genuine and valuable tasks, absorbing and deserving projects and people, and it So much of it becomes a distraction. We live in a society increasingly clothed in technology, too. Technology seduces us to believe. It, It zeroes in on every single problem and frustration of our life and promises to fix it. Struggling, you got you got a painful hip? Struggling with your hip? Here's an artificial one. Not sure what clothes to pack for your trip to New England for the holidays. Not sure what to make for Thanksgiving or Christmas. This little device, this website called Pinterest can predict the temperature in Boston and can also tell you what to make. Ready ready for supper um, and not had enough time to go to the store. This oven can bake things straight out of the freezer for you. Longing to be asked on a date. There's, there's a website with lots of interesting, sounding, lonely hearts on it, and every one of them emotionally intelligent enough to be your answer to your problem. And once we've become accustomed to expecting technology to resolve our problems, our unfulfilled and unresolved parts of our lives, waiting becomes even harder than it ever was before, and it doesn't just seem distressing, it seems outrageous, because surely somewhere, someone must have invented a solution to my next problem. We operate like Thanksgiving, the family gathering together, is the solution to all of our family's issues. We operate, operate like the next Christmas is the solution to all of our family's angst. So as often as not, As often as we look to technology, as often as we look to to holidays, there's this space built in the church where we hear the words from the prophet Isaiah, then echoed again in Matthew. He says, blessed are those who wait. Blessed are those who wait and hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Miraculously, none of it says, blessed are those who get where they're going. It never says that. It says, blessed are those who are in the the midterm space. And so if this whole series has been about up until now, how to get you from who you are to where you want to be, or to how to explain that space in between, today is to say, The Christian church, this season opening up, says the best thing you can do is be stuck in the midterm. My grandmother is a quilter, and she doesn't just quilt blankets. She makes quilted table runners and placemats and door hangings, and I just got a, whole, I got a load of, um, of placemats this week that my mom brought with her here um, when they came down. And one side of these placemats is like fall fabric with pumpkins and, um, and, and leaves on it. And the other side uh, of this placemat, I see it and I go, oh my gosh, I recognize that. What is that? 
Um, it was my Easter dress from when I was like, uh, I, maybe 13 years old. I was like, I knew, I remember that dress. That dress was awesome. I looked so good at it. And I don't know where she, how she got her hands on this dress. I have no idea. Um, some, somehow she got her hands on this Easter dress because she wasn't going to allow this fabric to go to waste. Um, back in the days um, when it was common to go into a tailor's store and ask for yards of cloth for sewing uh, or dressmaking into, um, into trousers or skirts or, or quilts, uh, it was quite common for someone to say in a store like that, never mind the quality, feel the width. Never mind the quality, feel the width. In other words, who cares whether the material, wherever the material came from, who cares if it's your Easter dress from when you were 13, um, who cares if it's the very best fabric you've ever had, see, see how much of it there is. My grandmother will see a bag of clothes that are going to Goodwill, and she'll be like, nope. And we're like, I mean, that's going to, like, Goodwill's a good thing. Like, um, but she's like, no, you cannot give these clothes away. Instead, I ha she has all these visions in her head of ways that she could use all these clothes to make more quilts and more, and, and more placemats and more tablecloths. Never mind the quality, feel the width. Common practice in quilting and, and common practice in life. <laughs> what a parable this is. It's a parable for what to do to our lives, what we do to our lives when we hide ourselves from the depths of our struggles and our sadness and our pain, and we walk around exclaiming, never mind the quality, feel the width, how, how can we get as much out of, out of this as we possibly can? How can we, how can we cram as many things in this time as we possibly can? Never mind our deepest desires. See how easy it is to occupy our, ourselves with, with only trivial ones. Don't distress yourself about the things that really matter. See how quickly you can get your hands on the things that fix things. And it's perfectly possible to turn your whole life into a distraction, a whole enterprise of, of, of feeling for the width, of stretching your life to get as much time and as much space out of it as you possibly can. And the Christian church has an anecdote to this, this feeling of, of width. The church has a season for helping us set aside our distractions and get profoundly in touch with the powerlessness of our hunger and our deepest longings. The church has a season defined by the words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and it's called Advent. It's what we will begin next week. And in Advent, we dismantle our elaborate defenses. And for a few weeks in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, or we face up squarely to our deepest yearnings and our unresolved longings and our rawest needs. This is why in Advent, when you come in next week, everything will be set in a minor key. And everybody every year gets really upset. When are we going to turn? When are we going to turn to the jingle bell kind of hymns that we're going to have at the barn? When are we going to turn towards that? But Advent is a place where we come face to face with our deepest longings and needs. And every year, every year, we come here for Friendsgiving. And then I see so many of you again at the barn. And there's lost time in between because we get, so, we get so caught up in what we can cram in, how much we can expand the width of that season. And, and 
the thing is, you can't, you can't have Christmas. Christmas loses all meaning without Israel's longing, without Israel's longing for a Messiah. And so for four, for four weeks, we're going to gather here and long together for the coming of a Messiah that each one of us still is longing every single day to encounter. You look to your left and you look to your right and everyone here is sharing in that. And so I wonder what that is. What are you longing for? What are you longing for today? What have you been longing for this year? What have you been longing for all your life? What is that hunger, that hunger that has not been fulfilled? And bring it here over these four weeks and watch as the Christ child, as love made flesh is birthed into that longing. And God does not come to fix things. God comes to wait with you in the longing.
at the table of the Lord.